Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. That's what we want, and we've almost accomplished our goal. So I think it's going to be coming to a close the podcast. Oh, people yeah, are done rates, overdosing? Death rate, rates are plummeting nationwide. I did see that on the news. It's you crazy. Saw that? Yeah, I they, was on HLN talking about it. I said, and we have a guest uh, I'm going to introduce in a second, but uh, so I said on HLN, like, or CNN, uh, I, numbers can be deceiving. <laughs> <laughs> right. 60,000 is still way too many. It's way, no, <laughs> God. Yeah, yeah, it's way too many kids dying. And then... But in our buddies in Milwaukee, Don't Die Wisconsin, they had a, they had great success. I went out there. They're way under um, Patrick, the one of the you know the four horsemen of the apocalypse of Don't Die Wisconsin yeah. owes me twenty bucks. They're gonna Milwaukee, the county that Milwaukee's in, gonna be maybe one hundred and fifty less deaths this year. But then they had two of their closest kids die yeah. over the weekend yeah for so you know it's interesting uh, that there's that thread text where it's a it's all the don't die guys and amy right and dopey dave and it so when that stuff comes out when it's like even in our inner circles of the people we think are doing this the people we think got this two thing of them beat, died over the weekend i know and it's just like my my heart so sank. our Bummer. podcast will always be around but you know th- 3,000 deaths is too much. That's what it was the first year I went to treatment. I went back and looked. And we're going to introduce our kingpin guest that I've known for 25 years. Your boss. Yes, he is. The cleaner, the man, the legend. (laughs) (laughs) Does he have a name? The bullseye, (laughs) Mr. Warren Boyd. The settled, you know, Zen Buddhist biker. I Turned have a, recovery guy, Warren Boyd. I have a T-shirt with a bullseye on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, the thing that the target of codependency for over thirty years. That's right. That's right. Right here, right here, everybody, get me. Come get me. So, so I th- the thing that's the most disturbing to me, and I just had we we just you know experienced this three days ago, is the kid a kid ODs on fentanyl, right? Car fentanyl hits the deck. They, they administer, and Chuck, you know who I'm talking about, yep. and, and, and hit the deck a couple of times because the drug is so strong that the Narcan, OD happens Narcan, again. Narcan, as yeah. soon as the Narcan wears off, we got the OD again. And then the thing we're watching out for nine hours later because we get, you know, go to the hospital. The hospital uh, is going to hang on for about 90 minutes to two hours. Okay, we're not going to OD again, so you guys can leave now and take the client with you. Right. So... Uh, what we're trying to do now is keep the client from doing it again, mm-hmm. which is the part that just freaks me out, right? I'm sorry. Well, that's but- the part that we're very familiar with as addicts, Warren, but we weren't, we <laughs> yeah. weren't facing this kind of madness no. and death. No, we only had a handful of things that, that we got to do. There was a handful of things. There wasn't. Uh, I know what it's like to OD. Get put in an ambulance, get to Cedars, be there for four hours, leave and go use again. Yeah. But, but, so I understand that. But the drug they're using is so 
there's such an amorality to drug dealing. I, I try to say this to Dr. Drew and his head explodes. <laughs> drug dealers, the MS, the, the, the 18th Street gang, who were my buddies, my dealers, all through the 80s and 90s, they wanted you to come back tomorrow. Yeah. Because you were good for $100 today. Their business model is based on $100 tomorrow and yeah. $100 yeah. going forward. Come on back. The new yeah. drug dealing is put something up on Craigslist, hit it hard, sell all your product in 12 hours, and you know, and then go have fun at some discotheque with the 40 grand you made. And the next 40 customers you have, next time you do a deal, two weeks from now, you don't care. It's not the same customers. No. The business model that the internet gave for drug dealing has created amorality. Whereas I believe some of the car fentanyl dealers don't even know the clients they're selling drugs to are dying. Listen, when a drug dealer sold drugs to our generation, Warren, and they heard somebody died, they got scared shitless. They wanted to know everything about it. Who was there? What happened? Oh, because they it, knew there was this breadcrumb thing back to them. Yeah. And unfortunately, I was the end of the breadcrumb on yeah. a couple of those. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so you wanted to know because you were dealing to people that knew you and you knew. Mm -hmm. Craigslist is not like that. So that's no. the one thing I would say that, the, that, that is new to drug dealing and new to the drug experience. You're selling to anonymous people. You're never going to sell to them again. Well, not, not to mention the fact that this, this client took two hits, smoking it, not shooting it. Does the death that's thing. That's car fentanyl. That's not fentanyl. Yeah, that's car fentanyl. Does yeah. the death thing and then... That was made by some kid here in Huntington Beach yeah, actually, or Westminster. Actually, New, <laughs> Newport Beach. Newport Beach. Yeah, you're right. Huh. Yeah. Put it together. They buy it. They get it somehow. I mean, I've been talking to kids on the street of how they're doing it. I had a kid who he's, you know, he's one of these. I, lo I love all drug addicts unfortunately for me and my family yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but this kid constantly harasses me through the internet so he has my instagram from facebook right and he sends me videos of him cutting up carpet and all and showing how to do it and stuff like you know he's just like fucking with me is that the guy that got excited about the new dope that's a yeah, hundred yeah, times stronger yes. <laughs> right yes. we, we said, need a stronger opiate you know, that's what we need and, that, does it kill you better i mean what, <laughs> it does kill you more thorough yeah that, and and so he sends me these videos. So I kind of ask the kids that are coming into treatment. Um, we had a kid two weeks ago. I always ask in my group, I do once a week, like you used to do once a week. You did you did every day, all day. Then you did once a week. Now you're back to every day, all day. What you're you're not made for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, need, you need to be riding bikes and going places. Yeah, you're right. The, I take them all with me when I go. Warren and I, Warren was sober long before me. I had treatment center wavelengths that we're in now today. This has been going on for 30 years, right? Yeah. It yeah. started how I understand it. It was just a bunch of you and your biker friends who yeah. were sober, right? Yeah. yeah. And then he had one of the first treatment centers in Malibu. Chuck didn't even know this. Did you know that? That's right. There was only there were only me and Richard Rogg. I yeah, think, at Richard Rogg. Yeah. And then passages popped came up. up. Oh, popped they had up. the cure though. They popped up yeah, with the yeah. cure. Well, the, the, well, good it, for them. You it's, know what it cured? It cured four hundred million dollars from American citizens. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Whoa! Because that's what the parentheses, wow. I've heard that's what the parentheses wow. are worth. No. <laughs> it cured money out of, out of concerned parents' bank accounts. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so anyways, the, the wavelengths existed, and Warren came to MAP. When I worked there, I had two years sobriety, 1998. You yep. came to MAP, and you knew Buddy, and you said, listen, you know, I'll, t I'll take your clients. And most of the time, we dealt with the lowest bidder. Our clients went to the lowest bidder. Yeah. And Warren said, I don't even care if you pay me. <laughs> and I was like, we'll work that out later. And Buddy was like, because Buddy was this old guy, you know, he trained me. Awesome. He was, he was so the awesome. greatest guy ever. So he would always play one treatment center against another, Lost and Seen Us against Cry Help, Cry Help against Impact, and just get the lowest price. At a certain point, we had $3,200 for 30 days at, at Impact. Nice. Right? I mean, that's like $100 a awesome. day. And so, but then Warren comes in and says he'll do it for free. You got them all. You win. Ding, ding. I got no, some good ones. Was, Terrible yeah, business but model, there, No, it was a good model because <laughs> he knew he's smart and been around forever that we had real full-on cash clients because every rock star in the world called Buddy Arnold. Yep. So not all of them were just poor, homeless friends of Mike Martz. <laughs> oh, Mike Mart. Mike Mart doesn't have a microphone. Not fair no, today. Some of them. Some of them That's were okay. like He's the most up. successful musicians in the world. And I think Warren, being the junkie, biker, street sense guy, knew that Cry <laughs> Help was getting some of these clients. Is yeah, that? Yeah, I always that's, wondered. That's accurate, man. Yeah, because we would get. <laughs> that's a Buddy Arnold on the nose. Buddy that Arnold, is accurate. Buddy Arnold didn't know who rock stars were. He was like an old jazz guy, and so if he had a manager on the phone, his office was across from mine with his, with the assistants in the middle. He would he would put it on hold. He knew how to put a phone on hold. He loved doing that, and he would yell out the name of the rock star through the. Through <laughs> the Anybody <line>. know? <laughs> Good. Some of the rock stars' names he would yell out, everyone would stand up and go, yes, we want to deal with that person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he didn't know who Sting was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. But that's so, right. So, so I think I always thought Warren was smart. He came in and said, listen, I'll, I'll, I, want, I want to help you guys and, and took a lot of our clients for free. And then in the, but on the other end, you got a lot of the cash pays who wanted to go to Malibu. Yeah. They wanted to go to Malibu with a house that had a pool. And nobody wanted to go to Cry Help. You think, you think these rock <laughs> yeah. stars want to go to Cry Help? I don't know. I, I know. I, I, too many people that are like, man, I'm desperate. I'll go anywhere. Charlie Street. No. Nope. <laughs> no. Not that desperate. <laughs> oh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was fun back then. It was fun. Buddy, Buddy would love to just, he, he rolled in with a, I told you about this story, Chuck. He rolled in with this kid. Uh, it's probably one of the greatest guitar players on a planet. And he wasn't ready right at the time. <laughs> you know? Not for years I said, more. I think I met this gentleman at an IHOP on Ventura Boulevard. I think you probably did. With his girlfriend. Did. Yes. And there, <laughs> I, know, I know who you're talking about. I said, There's buddy. A, uh, you, you know, recovery. Not everyone's yeah. ready for recovery, Chuck. He's smoking oh. crack. <laughs> He's smoking crack right now, buddy. But he said, I know. That's why we're here. <laughs> 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 and, and it was just amazing back then and then it then it you know warren i richard got out um i'm trying to think of who else harold owens was a part of that gang yeah. that original gang harold was around yeah Lori that worked at exodus 
And it was just the funnest time because you really did. It was for fun and for free. And we were all trying to make a We living. did have so much fun. It was man. so fun. And people didn't die. No, and we had... Nobody died. Uh, the property was pretty vast <laughs> in Malibu. There was a paved road on the property that went all around the property. You're down inside the canyon. And we used to have car... car we used to have car crashes and we'd wreck our own cars down on the property. We didn't even have to leave. We'd have clients. We had a client, a great, another great guitar player who, who got in the van and, and, and fucking totaled it right on the property. So trying to escape, <laughs> trying to escape, right. Escape. That's what he would lock people in. That's what I used yeah. to escape rehab. Like, cause you didn't want to have to go through the people that you like. That was another thing that I think wavelengths doing good at. Al is doing good at not many other rehabs are doing good at is that we treat people with love and respect that's what the old thing was so the reason why i would escape rehab is because i respected harold owens i liked him Her I, I had good. a relationship with him and i knew if i told the nurses i wanted to leave i'd have to talk to harold and i'd rather not disappoint yeah. him I agree. I had attachment with him. It's my whole theory of addiction treatment. That's what Allo does. It's not, not a matter of what the groups are about. It's a matter of who's facilitating them. Hmm. What connection, what openness, right? Yeah, And yeah. that's what that whole brigade had. Diane Baker at Cry Help had it. Marlene at Cry Help had it. Jim Stilwell had it. You go in his office and smoke. I remember the first time I was allowed to go into Jim Stilwell's office and smoke. And actually light a cigarette. And and you <laughs> and know, he was, I was like, this is illegal. He goes, fuck that. And and it's funny. <laughs> what Bob said is exactly right because I didn't we didn't want to hurt the feelings of the person that we created the vehicle for yeah, us. We don't yeah. want to disappoint right. people, you know? So us touchy feely, big hearted addicts. Would rather you know sneak out the window. <laughs> I, I love it when people do escape at night under the cover of darkness. They went out the back gate. They don't even go out the front door. But you're for that same very reason. They don't. They don't want to. They don't want to tell Warren I'm leaving. They don't want to disappoint. Yeah. Here's a funny story you'll love. So I rise. Uh, you know, nobody thought I could get sober, and then I end up having this job where I could hire people. And this guy comes in. I like hiring old guard guys at Los Encinas. Been around for 20 years, people. You, you needed two yeah, of those you did. to mix in with the MFTs and all the modern stuff. You really did. So <laughs> I was interviewing this guy, and his part of, on his, and I, you know, because Luisha did most of the screening. I, okay. I was just like, I was just like Luisha's secretary, but I had the title. You know, do you have somebody, <laughs> yeah. do you, do you have somebody like that? <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. So Luisha says, this seems like a guy you would like. So then I interview him, and I'm reading his resume for the first time. And he worked at American Hospital for like all these years. And I was like, oh, my God, when you, you worked at American Hospital in, in the 90s and when I was going to American Hospital. And so I must have had him at a group with him or been a client. And he goes, he goes, yeah, I, I was clinical uh, program director from that year. And I'm looking at the thing and I go, oh, my God, I I. I escaped one time from American Hospital. It's kind of legendary. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, what are you talking about? And I go, well, it took so long to get in there. It's like a two-week waiting list. And then I had got, I hadn't been, exp I had money the day that I was accepted. You know what I mean? That's a yeah. bad thing for a low-level bottom real, That's drunk. real bad. Yeah, if you got like 500 bucks, two days ago, I, when I had no money, I would have welcomed the journey into recovery. Yes. But now I had money. So, but Anthony or somebody convinced me to go and they brought me out there and I was just itching. I was in the treatment center, itching to use. So I thought, well, I'll just go use tonight in Pomona. I got some friends in Pomona. 
Go hang hang for a bit. I'll get back at my 6 a.m. They'll never know. <laughs> so I tie my bed sheets. I tie my bed sheets. They had hospital beds. I tie them the thing. I had this this guy who was a he, he was paralyzed from the waist down was my roommate. He's still sober to this day. This is crazy. Good for him. And he's 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 sitting in his bed going, "What the fuck are you doing?" I go, "I'm just going to leave. You're not going to get in trouble. I'm going to leave." I'm going to have the thing outside. I'm going to go get high for a couple hours and I'll come back. And he's like, you're crazy. You can just walk out the front door. I was tying the bed sheets to the rail of the hospital bed, leaning it against the window on the second floor. It's a perfect plan. I'm going to go use for like two hours, climb back up in. It's a perfect plan. Did you do it? I well, the hospital, what you don't know about hospital beds is those things that are, they're only slid down in metal things. You can't, oh, put a lot of oh, no. you can't put a lot of pressure oh, no on that. So, so they come, I, I'm getting the weight on it, right? And no then good. I start to go down, and it just flies out of the hospital bed, smashes our windows. I go flying down and smash the windows of the downstairs first floor. And then the security comes out, and I'm laying there covered in blood and glass. And well then, done. And the guy who That's fucking awesome. The guy who I'm interviewing goes, that was my office downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. And I go, you're hired. That's awesome right now. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you live through that, that's like, a that's a good shit show right there. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't you know you don't think that's those awesome. things just fly right out. I like just, the I like the whole disruptive fucking kaboom. I know, <laughs> you know. And all because only a drug addict would complicate something as simple as I could just walk out the front door or I could destroy this fucking place and still not get loaded. Did you leave? Did you go get loaded anyhow? Yeah. Oh, they were not having me back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let no, him it was go. funny and uh and i remember it was raining and that's the thing that we want to convince our clients to understand is yeah you have to do it a couple times but do you have to do it a hundred times that's what i always tell addicts i i did it a hundred times a couple of times is good enough to know that that route wasn't working that well why couldn't i become teachable and gloria scott who you know you know because i went to so many treatments and i had so many fuck-ups and so many nights like that where i would be so I'm by the 71 freeway trying to hitchhike at you know 12 o'clock at night in the rain back to LA with and I've got 360 dollars things are looking up gonna go, oh, <laughs> gonna go get it done <laughs> <laughs> that money will be gone by noon tomorrow baby and then we'll figure it out then that you don't have to do that a hundred times and the big book says you know, what we have to share with the young person is the ability to that you don't have to do it a hundred times. You don't have to go through this, but we, we should understand they have to do, go through it a few times. And then we need to remind them as sober people, you just did this, dude, three weeks ago. Right. You just did it right. three weeks ago. Right. But that's our that's the biggest thing. I think I, you know, I've made the mistake of trying to hold on too tight to some of these because that fear of all they need to do is go do what they think is a safe amount and they're dead. It's a lot different than the game I was playing, you know, or you were playing, you know, I mean, uh, for me to go get loaded, I might, I might overshoot the mark, but I'm probably not going to die. So it's like, I, it's almost like, uh, holding on to them way too hard sometimes because man, just don't leave. But sometimes that's what they got to do. I well, that we can remind them that, well, yeah, it's a fine line. So, so Warren, where are you at it's with really, that? So, it's a super fine line. Because people it used to used to say, I just always say, be careful, you could die. You know what I mean? I, just I don't want to remind them of that because at a certain point, you know, when you've been battling a kid for four hours, 
and they're just hell-bent for leather, right? And you got no parental leverage or no kind of legal leverage. I just had it happen behind a joint uh, two hours ago, you know? I'm leaving. The kid from back east, I'm leaving. I don't want you to take... pot? No, I'm taking your phone because you were smoking pot. It's a consequence. So give up the phone. No, I'm just going to go pack my shit. Yeah, but you're a heroin addict. What's that, what's that got to do with it? He said, what's that got to do with anything? You're going to go fucking use, and you're going to go die. That's what it's got to do with it. And I'm standing here talking to you, trying to keep you from doing that. He ends up leaving anyway, but I, I, it's, the, it's the thing I hate the most. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Chuck, you know this. You're with me every day. Bob, you know that we didn't have all this kind of shit back then when now they have the Disney Hopper card. I'll just get paid by a treatment center and go to yeah. another treatment center. That's coming to a close, though, I hope. That's, that's almost, the door's almost, thank God, shut on that one. So all the stuff that are these you, kids are doing. A side note of that, I've been involved with some FBI investigations up in L.A. Good. FBI is overwhelmed. They have so many cases. They're referring it back to the insurance industry. And, and there's wow. two. There's to, two, to two. report insurance fraud. I, absolutely. I just go directly to the parent. I go, listen, this is what's happening. Your kid's a drug addict. He's going to die. He's being paid by this rehab. He left our rehab. He's being paid by that one to go there. You need to call your insurance company and tell them that immediately. Right. And what I tell the kids is what's not, it's not necessarily true when they, I I have to come in, spin them around to see if they've got any implants, any of that shit. And I, if, okay, if I find out you're doing anything like trying to get a hold of a referral so you can get paid, I'm canceling your insurance. And of course, I. <laughs> you can't. They go. Oh, okay. oh shit! Can you do that? <laughs> they wouldn't know whether you could or not. I said I'm going to do everything I can to cancel your insurance, and sometimes they stay. They go. Yeah, oh, I don't want that one. No, no, no. Yeah, do that one. Especially if they've only been running it for a year. They know they've got a good couple years, or at least. Yeah, it's not smoked yet. Yeah, it's not smoked. But, but it's true. There are 217 treatment centers in Orange County. There might be 125, 130 left. That's how many have fallen. Good thing that it's happened. Um, we want the bad players out, and we want the good players to, to, to get, to get so it let's done. Let's talk shop for a second. So I've been recognizing that since last year, really, yeah. this trend. And what I always believe is, even in the worst treatment center, which I could name four right now, there are really <laughs> great people who work there. Right. Right? right, but majority of people who work in treatment just don't even know what they're supposed to be doing because the industry expanded so quickly. Yeah. The insurance industry insisted we need all these people that we don't really need to help drug addicts, right? In my opinion, right? The number one qualifier to me to work with drug addicts is compassion, understanding of the condition, a deep understanding of what alcoholism is. Unless you have that, you're gonna be of no help, right? Right, right. But that doesn't mean that MFTs that aren't addicts can't, under, can't be valuable in a treatment center. I'm not saying that. I'm saying they need to get to the essence of what addiction is. And that right. it, it puzzles a lot of people that come from some of the hel- other helping fields. It, it really it does. It puzzles them. The, the way that we put this model together was, uh, and, this, and this model fits right around your whole thing, Bob, because... We're ta- I can see. We're teaching exactly. them, you know, we're teaching them about the music, about the history, about Haight-Ashbury, about Hell's Kitchen, about 
everything about that the Hell's Angels. I watched. The Hell's I watched. Angels, I watched Crossfire <laughs> Hurricane last night with right. my wife, and she's like, "Jesus, they hired the Hell's Angels." Oh, the, she she asked. You know, she's younger, so no, <laughs> she's so twelve. She, what is that? <laughs> well, she's twelve. She don't have no, don't have a lot of cultural references. So she goes. She doesn't know much about the Hell's Angels, and so that they killed this black guy. And I go, yeah. yeah. And she says, "Are the Hell's Angels racist?" And I was like, "Oh my god! <laughs> well, they've been in prison a lot, and prison's very racist. You know what I mean?" But it's an innocent question for a 35-year-old yeah. person to say because they have no no history of the Hell's Angels. Right. They, you know what I they mean? They don't know what that is. They just heard it before. But they only understand a 21st century, you're, you're yeah, racist. If, you, if you've seen this. Sons of Anarchy, you'd know all about it. <laughs> Just kidding. Are they racist? <laughs> no, Sons of Anarchy, it's, it kills me. People that started riding because they saw Sons of Anarchy, and it's just like, you know what? That you, you don't know anything about motorcycle people if you but believe the angels, any of that show. But the angels, to me, the history of the angels that's so important is, it was it, they were mostly what I believe and historically what I think is they were suffering from PTSD, World War II. Yeah. And they correct. started taking to the road, just the free spirit, just taking to the road. Just fucking get, just run. That's what they were doing. Run. Yeah. They were all veterans. Get on a bike. They were all veterans yep. of World War II. Yep. And there was no sensitivity to post traumatic stress disorder in 1946 you were supposed to button your tie yep. and go fucking get a shitty job and go buy a track house in orange county <laughs> yeah Bob, Bob, and there a was a bunch of, of guys not there a was a bunch yeah. of guys that were like do you know what we just did for five years yeah and if you feel like shit oh well yeah. Yeah. suck it up and yeah. so suck i think up. it was truly free thinkers who suffered ptsd that started this thing and then it became whatever it became you have prohibition against drugs oh there's something we could do mm -hmm. right? right 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 and and what what the angels i think most represent to me is this freedom that was being searched for by trauma by trauma survivors and it yeah. and what and they started self-medicating as each drug came along they started using it that's how it went and that's what it's that's how it started it of course that's not how it ended up but that is how it started it's, that's exactly now it's how like it at&t <laughs> it's like it's and then, then they got themselves in a little bit of a, a little bit of a mishap with the mob or you know in the 70s and the mob said hey you know you guys you, you're not you're not doing this in our in our city anymore. In so, New York City, yeah. So New we're gonna York let you, city. we're gonna let you in New York. We're gonna let you do some have business here. Maybe you know you get to do business over here because you'd straighten your it shit up a little. It was very tense. If you ever went to tense. New York City in the late '70s, there was a street that the Hell's Angels owned on on the Lower East Side, and they guard. There was there was guys with rifles because of the mafia. They they're <laughs> like that's their street on the roof. Mike, Mike used to go there to score dope. <laughs> that, Mike, there goes a stump. Up, thumbs up from Mike Mart. There goes a stump. <laughs> what, right? What, it was Hell's Angels Street. One little, one little, one little street yeah. that they owned in yeah. New York City. Awesome. And uh, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> but a lot of people don't know. Mike Mart got sober because he he fell in with the biker gang. Got that's how he got sober. And they used to say they'll get you a new Harley if you get a, a year sober. 
Wow. You can't leave with the bike. The guy would get a year sober and they go, what the fuck are you talking about? We're not going to give you a bike. Who said that? Are you that stupid to believe that? Who the fuck said that? (laughs) (laughs) So wherever there was trauma, wherever there's drug addiction, there will be recovery and there will be this kind of spirit. And I think that that was part of your spirit that you came into this, right? Yeah, that was... That, you know, I'm old. <laughs> I'm you and I are partners in old. We're partners in old, so I'm up there. I'm up there. But, you know, I, I, got, I have six kids. My youngest is three and a half. My oldest is 42. There you go. And I, and I have, uh, I got five grandkids. A couple of them are taller than I am. And it's all good, right? So I wouldn't trade it for anything. But I think the thing that was the most uh, interesting to me that we got out of this, <clears throat> this new model that... Um, we're working on <clears throat> is that so you, you got a kid that's 20 that's t- 25 years old in the audience who says parents do not understand me they do not understand what's going on with me they do not understand my addiction or anything that I do okay what era were your parents what decade were your parents in their heyday and you're 25 years old so let's get your parents from 20 to 30 years old find out where they lived what kind of music they were listening to what kind of film were they watching? What kind of drugs were available to them? And what exactly was happening in their community in that decade? Mm-hmm. And you're going to go to the library. You're going to study that entire decade in Hell's Kitchen from, you know, the year 2000 to 2010. You're going to bring us back every piece of data you can find on that era. You're going to bring us back uh, some some very detailed posters, which you see down the hallways, a piece of film that we can throw up on the screen. You're going to stand up in front of everybody and report to us that decade that your parents Mm -hmm. went through. After it's all said and done, they always, I I can ask this, I haven't got a different answer yet. I asked the question, do you understand why your parents don't understand you? Absolutely. I understand why they have no idea at all what I could possibly be going through or talking about after understanding where they lived and what they had available to them and what was going on with them, what kind of music were they listening to. They don't understand your music. They don't understand your behavior. They don't understand your drugs. They don't understand all this geographic shit you're doing with your hopper card. And that's why, because they never took the time to understand why the parent was so oblivious you know, and then reverse angling that and having the parents that will do it study their child's decade, um, it brings together a different way to communicate for both of them. And that's mm-hmm. the traction we're starting to get. All right. And that's, and that's what we try to do here. I talk about it a lot. Like, I understand that I am a dinosaur that I use for way different reasons than kids use for these days. I used to have fun, to expand experience, to... You know, we used to like to, when we were like 17, go shoot Coke and go up to the Hollywood sign. Well, yeah. You know he, what I mean? Purple to, Haze. And we were together. That was another thing. There was like three of us, four of us. We're all together all the time. It was this, it was this, it was this communal experience that we all lived together. We, we partied together. We had fun together. We talked about deep things about our parents, about trauma. I remember being up all night one night shooting coke and talking about our parents, me and my best friend. And, and how I had, I kind of liked his relationship with his dad and I didn't like the relationship with my mom and he said, oh, it's not all it's cracked up to be. And, and deep conversations that I think that young people, because of social media, because of this 
time in place in history of mankind aren't having. Yeah, you're right. Intimacy. You're right. You can lost. have intimacy in a in a long night of shooting coke. You can. <laughs> you know, I had it. I'm right. not lying to you. No, I don't think a lot of those things are happening nowadays. And, and smoking shroom stick. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you gotta look out for your bro. You can't leave him. You can't leave yeah. him running naked down the fucking the pier here. No, we're gonna be, do it together. By God. Right? No, that was that was a great thing that happened. What was that? Like two or three weeks ago when you took the phones. <clears throat> And, and tell the phones him, are constantly. But, but, but him looking at him yeah. and going, you're not going to have phones for three how, days. They don't know how to communicate. And he goes, you can't make friends like this. You know, he's just moving his thumbs. You can't make friends like that. You can't, uh, you, you know, you guys got to get to know each other. And it's so awkward for them when they don't have them at first. Maybe we should get them some Coke and some syringes and put them in a room. Yeah, that's, that's a great idea, <laughs> yeah, right? Bob. Oh, my. They'll unify. <laughs> They'll unify. But, I, Bob. I, I'm just saying, we need some <laughs> radical approaches to create empathy. Like, like we we need to coke. create empathy. We need to create <laughs> an understanding of the other. I would say that's a difficult thing for people to understand. The best example, kid OD'd up, in, up where I live right and he, he uh, it was a girl and the boy who gave her the drugs was um questioned by the police and he said well I, I yeah i gave it to her but i told her it was really strong and not to do too much like that kind of that kind of young people's like thing you're talking to the police they're not your friend hey you know why would you think the police are okay oh that makes sense but i i, I put the disclaimer on it right <laughs> oh, exactly. but you're talking to the police you're not talking to your friend in the parking lot at school you're not talking to your mom you're talking to the police yeah there's no understanding of how the world works like, even, you know, and whatever I might have learned about the police, I might have learned on Starsky and Hutch or something, I knew, remain silent. <laughs> like, do not talk. Do not talk. Shut up. Deny, deny, take it You have the right, right to ask for assistance. Try to avoid but giving your name. In this, in this new world, I can tell you a Huntington Beach story. Oh, my God. There used to be a place called Savari Sam. I don't even recognize this. This, right. this looks Safari like the Sam. Glendale Galleria. Right uh, see the, uh, the surfboard? Yeah. That surf museum is the old Safari Sam. Okay, so I was in the parking lot there. I had a bunch of warrants for my arrest. And I'd gotten in a fight. I was playing there. Mike was probably there. On yeah. their Mike just put his hand up. He was there. <laughs> so... So I and the bass player and Thelonious sponsor John Huck, the original bass player, had birthdays very similar, and I knew his full name, Jonathan Harold Huck, or you know, and I knew his birth date, nine six sixty one, or two two nine sixty one, which was only six days away from mine, and he, I knew he didn't have any warrants. He was a goody two shoes guy, right? So they got me out there, Huntington Beach Police, who I've been arrested a million times around here from the time <laughs> I was fifteen. I give him John Huck's thing. Fucking dumbass in our band walks up to me and goes, Bob, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Mike. It was another band member. <laughs> Bob, what's going on? The cop, sharp Huntington Beach cop, goes, what, what's his name? And <laughs> like, oh, my God, I'm going to jail again. And now I gave false evidence to a police officer. Yep. That's not good. Did it go on your record as an AKA? Because I've got a funny ass AKA yeah, from a, a weird, fake name I gave. Yeah, it's weird. Here, yeah. I, I what get, is it, Chuck? Is Dave Ramoldi? 
Is that a friend of yours, too? Yeah, it was a friend of mine. (laughs) You got to know the birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Because I gave the name. They listed it as an AKA of all things. Because you can always say, nowadays they ask your last four of your social security. They didn't used to ask that. Yeah. The only thing you needed to know to get out of trouble was the person's name and birthday, right? That was it. That's that's it. My brother went to jail on my behalf a couple of times. (laughs) (laughs) More More than once this happened with my brother. It, it, and and he, he always wants to bring it up around my friend still. <laughs> he did it again last year. I mean, shit, we were 18 years old. I'm fucking, you know, I'm, I'm old now, right? But I would, you could do it back then. I could give his name because I didn't want to get arrested for the warrants that I had. Right, and, exactly. And he always got arrested for that shit. Is that uh, your brother that comes around here? Yeah. You oh, shouldn't I, have done that to him. He's a nice guy. Oh, he'd love to talk about it. Just ask him. Yeah, ask him <laughs> next time. I will. I will. But here's the thing. I, I, I'm trying to wise up, and I think what you're trying to do here is educate, culturally educate. I try to wise up kids to say, you know, you, 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 you have warrants out for your arrest. You don't understand what that means. Yeah. You, you, anytime you get pulled over, you're going to go to jail. They're, they're naivete about how the world works, that your parents can always get you out of trouble. That and I hate to say it, that being white gets you always gets you out of trouble. It, it, the yeah. one the one great equalizer to our basic a lot of the clients I'm talking about is death. They don't even think they're going to die. That's right. Even when they do die and be resuscitated. Right. It's not going to so happen. So we again. need education. Yeah. We need to hang in there with them. I I just uh, I just think it's going to be a long battle. And as long as people like us are doing it, it'll be all right. As long as the psych side of the world is doing it we're going to be in trouble yeah we are going to be in trouble and and you know that educational thing that uh bob you should have a doctorate um (laughs) i don't know if i should have a doctor or not because i don't know what i'd do with it but but the point being is that what we've lived through and what we've seen other people live through and what we've lived um does match up to uh, some of the learning that happens up at Berkeley, right. you know, it does match up. And, and, and mm-hmm. I didn't, I never really wanted to talk to anybody that, that didn't shoot dope in their life myself. If you didn't shoot dope. <laughs> well, I, 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 here's yeah. what I wanted. I wanted a solution. And so much of, of psych and psychotherapy, which I went to since I was a kid was problem oriented, like explaining the problem. I understand. Listen, I know what it feels like to have that problem. I remember thinking that at like 14 years old when I'd be in therapy. I'd be like, you know, you're telling me where these problems come from and grief and da, 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 da. Like, I know what it feels like. And you're not giving me any solution to how to cope with these feelings. Right. What drug treatment did for me is give me a blueprint of how to deal with those feelings. Now, I didn't necessarily want a new solution to coping with feelings because I like the one that I had, which was using <laughs> drugs. It, it works for <laughs> but years. But once I ran out of using drugs to cope with the way that I felt, these new tools that recovery is worked like a charm. Yeah. And yeah. one of the tricks I try to tell people, and it's hard when a, when a whole generation doesn't understand empathy, is to do for others. When you're, when you're just clean up after somebody, just that act without... Just purely a, a loving act of, of right. service, and, and Bob, what you just you said pulls you out of that self-obsessed, depressed mode. It, it always does. And what you just said is now an anomaly. <laughs> I know it's like a, you know, it's yeah. like, fuck. Nobody does that now. <laughs> you clean know, up after like, somebody else. Oh shit! I mean, I can tell me? stories. His, you know, his 
kid was in my sober living. Yeah. And so, and his kids raised <laughs> right, I got to say. But he also stood to the side, of, you know, and judged all the idiots. Kinda. You know, that kind of, <laughs> that kind of client. Yeah. Right. So these kids. Yeah, but he's a. This kid, this kid these, these kids that his son was in with. So the, they ruined the trash can in the kitchen. Right? Like threw spaghetti in it or got all fucked up or I don't know why. And then they just decided <laughs> to throw it away because it was too much trouble to they wash fucked, it out with a hose. They fucked up the trash can. <laughs> <laughs> That's my what boy. <laughs> so so but they, had a, they must have had a house meeting about it or something, and then they didn't what come to a conclusion. It's what got are you spaghetti do? in it. What Get rid of it. <laughs> so, then, so then there's a trash can downstairs, and one of them comes to me and goes, um, Bob, you know, the trash can downstairs gets really full. It's not as big as the one that was up here. Are you going to get another one for up here? And I said, no, I told you guys, like, you threw it away. You're going to have to deal with it. And he goes, yeah, but that, they're just throwing that shit down there. And it's just all <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> and I said, well, clean it up for him. Why don't you do that? Clean it up for him. And he looked at me like I was speaking <laughs> Japanese to him. <laughs> he just wanted to point out that it's a mess down there and he didn't make it. <laughs> not, not my mess, not right, my problem. Right. So then I said, well, why don't you bring that trash can up here and then the trash can will be here and then that won't be dirty in your room because he had that first room to the left when you walked down the stairs so that's mm -hmm. where the trash can was and it was, it, you know, little flies were coming in his that's bedroom. Awesome. But, he was, <laughs> but, he, but he didn't have to clean it because it wasn't his And he wasn't going to do it. <laughs> he wasn't going to do it. This little things like this, these are teaching moments. So I said, bring the trash can up here. Listen, go dump it. Let's wash it out. Leave it here in the kitchen. Then they can't just leave trash on the ground down there. Right? Yeah. Two days later, kid comes to me. There's no trash. Another kid. Bob, there's no trash can downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> We're fucked. We're what fucked. are we going to do? What are we going to do? <laughs> we are fucked. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to hang in there. The new and captains now, of industry. Guess what? Now, now the kid that was complaining about the flies in the trash can it works for a treatment center in Malibu. He's a great kid. Just got engaged to a wonderful sober gal. But, it, you know, you have to go through these little life lessons. That's awesome. And it's just, it's irritating for people that were raised right that know, like, dude, just fucking dump the trash. <laughs> yeah, dude. dump the shit out. Who's, Doesn't matter whose who's trash, trash is this. Well, I'll dump my <laughs> trash and get your stuff out of the trash. <laughs> it doesn't get rid of the nest. But it's true. It's true. And it's a little scary. It's a little scary. So yeah. we're, we're, what are we, we going to do? We're teaching life. That's what recovery, the, what treatment centers have become, teaching life. Yeah. And the simplest of lessons. And they're profound. I mean, John Wooden's one of my favorite all-time human beings. I read two of his books. The, he had all the greatest basketball players in the world come to UCLA to be under John Wooden and the UCLA in the Wooden way. And the, you're talking about Bill Walton, Lou Alcindor, the greatest basketball players in the history of mankind. There you go with all and those he, names again. And he teaches <laughs> how to tie their shoelaces correctly in the first time he meets them. Like he, th they think they're going to run offenses and he's going to, yeah. and he simply teaches them how to put their socks on correctly so that they don't blister and <laughs> bill Walton has a great story about it in his book he's like i just 
a million ideas went off in my head. Who is this old man? What the fuck is this? <laughs> this is stupid. This is, you know, and John Wooden just taught them how the first time, the, the first shit. thing, how to put your socks on proper, properly so you don't blister and how to tie the shoelaces properly. Gotta start and that was the right? end of the, of the practice. And he had them all put their socks on and shoes on. I love That's that. John Wooden. He can do that. He <laughs> can do that's that. That's how you want to know how to play basketball. Put your shoes on right. That, well, that, I think that's what we need to do with drug treatment. You're, you're right. And the disconnect that you're talking about, Bob, and you and I have seen way too much of it. We've seen some pretty weird shit, him and I. Uh, <laughs> and, and I was, I was just telling, I was just telling Chuck the other day. I said everything that Bob and I have ever done was a fucking emergency. It was never. It was not. It, <laughs> there, was, a, it was a crisis. There, there was always a fire, you know, but. But I mean, I think that I think the most important thing is is what you just said—the disconnect from reality. And and Chuck uh, had mentioned when we took their phones, when th- that day that I took their phones, oh, I can't everybody imagine what it was like around here. <laughs> everybody got You guys got to give up your phone. I'm going to test you all. There's two drivers standing in the hallway right there. They have vehicles. Those of you who are not going to give up your phones are leaving the program. So there's your drivers. It's a test. Yeah, man. <clears throat> give up your phones. Everybody give up their phones. Thank God. Um, give up your phones. We'll, you know, we'll see you Friday afternoon about your phones. <clears throat> I don't want to hear any whining after this. Please don't do that. And now you're going to get to know each other. And that's how it happens. You know, now it's you like, I couldn't do what we do at Aloe. You know what we did when uh, I was, when I was running it, it was like day to day. <laughs> so the phone thing, it all become an issue. Right. But we're way up in the Canyon where there's no cell reception. Right. I just one day I like I asked who knows about the IT around here. I asked this girl. She's like, I know, I I do. And I said, where is the Wi-Fi system? She said, oh, we have three across the building. I said, let's go around and disconnect every one of them, because then they can't search social media. They had no Wi-Fi service, and they were That's like, I, and they were all coming to me like, what's going on, Bob? Like I go, oh, I don't know. Like, no, is it, oh, and I looked at my <laughs> phone and I was like, holy fuck, is the Wi-Fi out? <laughs> <laughs> We got to call Spectrum, and I, I went in oh. and I called the cable company, so that and three of them were outside the nurse's station, like, Bob's on this shit. Yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> disconnect the Wi-Fi power. The same thing. <laughs> same thing, different methods, same end result, sort of. Junky, sophisticated. Yeah, that's our different styles. I'm more manipulative and, and that type of thing. You're very direct. You're yeah, old yeah, school yeah, direct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just couldn't imagine what that was like, that session. You gr- drew them all in here and said, we're taking the phones? Yeah, right? we have this, our sessions. Oh, my God. This is where were we live. Were you there? Yeah. No. This, this I, is where we live all day, every yeah. day, Bob. We live out here in the space. Cool. And, you tell them the yeah. history of Huntington, Golden Bear, where I saw Peter Gabriel play the first album solo wow. tour at the Golden Bear. I saw Blondie. I saw Iggy Pop. Wow. Blondie. You know, there. I saw Blondie in the Golden Bear. That's no, I love that place. That's all. I mean, awesome. the people that played awesome. there: Captain Beefheart, Talking Heads. Everybody played the Golden Bear. I saw a lot of bands there as a twelve-year-old. I because I, I was I was born in '67, so that place was wrapping. It wrapped up in the '80s, right? No, but they built a new one in one of these malls here, and it was terrible. Well, me and Mike played there. It was. It was. It was. Yeah. It was, <laughs> uh, I had to be. <laughs> I. I 
<laughs> hey, I, I've heard Bob play at the House of Blues in L.A. He's fucking great, man. Yeah, fun. He's pretty good. Bob, huh? Bob's pretty goddamn good. He could play with anybody. Mike wrote the best songs, the best album. What you don't know, Thelonious Monster's best album is called Stormy Weather. It was when Mike was in a don't do heroin, only cocaine groove there for about four months. Oh, a Bowie groove. Yeah, he was in a, and he was excellent. He wrote five wow. of our greatest songs, and then he reverted back to his crack smoking heroin doing. And we had to kick him out of the band. Only Damn. person kicked out of the Lonely Monster for drugs, Mike Mart. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but that cannot really, be easy. You got to get to your next meeting. I get it. But, right on the dot. But the thing, the thing, what was like, oh, I know what it was. It was, uh, it was, it was uh, Scott Weiland and STP. Yeah, yeah. And then you had your band. Yeah. But when Bob started playing and I thought, fuck, this fucking guy's good. Shit. Well, go. this is a great high note to end on this right now. Yeah. Let's leave it at <laughs> doesn't that. Doesn't get any better than that. That doesn't get better than that. And Thank you for talking to us, Warren. Yeah, man. Warren, I'm so I'm so happy much. to see you, Bob. It's great to see you. My We're wife just kicking. just came in and out and brought that food. Yeah. She said, Bob's just a cutie these days. Oh my God. Oh holy God. I'm dang. coming I'm coming up in my age. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's getting right. good. Yeah. It is getting good. You know, I have two little kids and just they reinvigorate your uh, life yeah they do you know what i they mean do. i was gonna ask you one little note so a lot of times people think that oh are these are your grandchildren and i always say no we're a weird family <laughs> <laughs> i like that you know <laughs> i've we're got weird. that we're weird here go to grandpa no i'm, I'm his dad you <laughs> asshole <laughs> i used you know to be really defensive about it <laughs> elvis would get weird about it yeah. now i just say we're a weird family elvis loves that <laughs> yeah <We're weird. laughs> sometimes they mistake my wife for my daughter and my, i'm my, like oh like oh no 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 my three-year-old's in the back of the in the back of the uh, golf cart yesterday and taking for a ride i gotta go back to the house I, I, he goes why are we going back daddy i gotta go back and plug this thing back in he goes bullshit you just <laughs> <laughs> you just unplugged it <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's yeah. it kids yeah. keep me young that's where it's so at. <laughs> kids keep me young and sobriety keeps me going right very on, good man. thanks bob great to thanks, see you man. thanks bye bye adios mike say good night mike okay see you later. adios mike <laughs> mark say good night <laughs> that was fun man This is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call.